Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Our show is about to begin. The languages of Middle-earth are more than just vital to the Lord of the Rings. They are an essential part of Howard Shore's operatic film score. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this is part three of our exploration of Middle-earth and The Fellowship of the Ring, a film from 2001 directed by Peter Jackson with a film score by Howard Shore. Before I began our episodes on Fellowship, I thought it was important to have a discussion about opera and its significant influence on film music. But even more important was to reinforce the idea of opera, of story and text, set to music, refined over the last 400-plus years into the rich traditions we've been hearing for the last mm, 150 years or so. Because in the case of Fellowship, Howard Shore did more than just write a film score. He did more than just create defining music for the various cultures of Middle-earth. He, along with writers Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and translator David Sala providing the libretto, he wrote an opera. With Tolkien's text and the various languages of Middle-earth, and armed with a wide array of vocal performances, from a women's chorus to a boy soprano's chorus to a full mixed chorale to Enya, and even to a dwarvish chorus of men and rugby players, Howard Shore audibly gives us hidden speech on top of the dialogue we hear from our characters. A Greek or operatic chorus is Middle-earth speaking to us, with text that comes straight from Tolkien himself. Today, we're going to look at that text and these cues, and I think the large number of pieces with singing in them will surprise you. And the Easter eggs hidden inside the translations will hopefully give you chills, or at least make you nerd out like I did when I first read them in Doug Adams' wonderful book. But first, we need to chat about how songs are a huge part of the novel of Fellowship of the Ring. If you've ever read it or The Hobbit before it, you know that the characters in these books seem prone to breaking out into songs, either songs that they know or ones that they make up right there on the spot, almost like a musical. Everyone is singing. A lot. So, 
the question comes up, how do you handle songs in Middle-earth when bringing it to the silver screen? Do you have your characters break out into song? Well, that might work for something that has a lighter tone like The Hobbit, but for The Lord of the Rings, it might not feel right. The filmmakers opted to handle it in two ways. The first, they hint at songs with source music or diegetic in-world music. They have our characters sing fragments here and there. But the second is that they also bury the songs as text in Howard Shore's score. And there is a lot of it. Let's start with some songs that we hear our characters sing in English. When Gandalf first appears in the Shire, we can hear Ian McKellen singing The Road Goes Ever On with a melody by Fran Walsh with orchestration by Howard Shore. Down from the door where it began Okay, cool, simple enough. That's an easy one. When our hobbits are drinking at the Green Dragon, we hear them singing a drinking song. Again, all of the lyrics that I'm going to reference in this episode are from Tolkien, but they're adapted by the film screenwriters. All right, but these are simple examples, just in English. And they're a nice demonstration of how our filmmakers acknowledge the plethora of songs found in the novel of Fellowship. But we haven't even scratched the surface. The exciting, really fun stuff isn't in English at all. It's in Quenya, it's in Sindarin, it's in Kujdul, it's in Blackspeech, it's in Adunayak. Wait, wait, what's all that, you ask? Well, they are the many, very detailed fictional languages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. I want to pause just for a story here for a moment. I have a really good friend who is an amazing artist, has great taste, incredibly talented. Anyway, one day we were at lunch, and somehow the Lord of the Rings films came up, and he confessed to me that he didn't like them. Like, at all. I was a bit taken aback. Actually, I was kind of shocked. I mean, to me, those movies were like a revelation when they came out in the early 2000s. Amazing that films with source material from decades past felt so fresh, so brilliant on the silver screen. So I asked him why he didn't like the films, just casually, and he said, I couldn't keep track of the characters or of what was what. Everyone's got similar sounding names, and they seem to have multiple names. It seems intentionally confusing. Well, in a way, he isn't wrong. Our bad guy, Sauron from Mordor, though the fortress is called Baradur, has a similar sounding name to Saruman from Isengard, though his fortress is called Orthanc. He raises an army of Urukai, which are different from orcs or goblins. By the way, those Urukai eventually kill a man named Boromir, who's the brother of Faramir, sons of Denethor from the kingdom of Gondor, not Mordor. 
And unfortunately, he wasn't saved in time by Aragorn, our hero. Aragorn is the son of Arathorn, descendant of Isildur, son of Elendil, who, by the way, is called Strider when we first meet him. Oh, and by the way, he is in love with a character named Arwen, not Eowyn. Gandalf the Grey becomes Gandalf the White, but the elves call him Mithrandil, and he is an Istari, which is another word for wizard. Gimli the Dwarf is the son of Glowen, who is the brother to Owen, and he wants to go to Moria, but they call it in Dwarvish Khazad-dûm. And hobbits live in Hobbiton. No, Bag End. No, the Shire. And they need Gollum's help. No, Smeagol. No, both. You see, <laughs> you get the picture. But the thing that bothered my friend fascinated me. The depth, the intelligence, and attention to detail by Tolkien. It just swept me away into Middle-earth. It didn't bother explaining itself. It just was. And the characters were incredibly comfortable with it. It was common knowledge to them. This is a fully realized fantasy world, and I just couldn't believe the detail. Tolkien, at heart, was a linguist. His love of languages and philology are core to who he was as a writer and a professor. As a kid, he studied Latin and Anglo-Saxon. His cousins used to make up languages, and he was enchanted by them. He later specialized in English philology at university and in 1915 graduated with Old Norse as his special subject. He actually worked on the Oxford English Dictionary. This has no bearing on Lord of the Rings whatsoever, but he's actually credited with coming up with the word walrus. Anyway, look it up. It's fascinating. He taught at the University of Leeds and then later at Oxford. His lectures were on Old and Middle English, Germanic philology, Gothic, Old Icelandic, and Medieval Welsh. He had a decent understanding of Finnish, and he had a social club called the Viking Club. So, what does a man like this do in his spare time? Naturally, he began constructing his own languages. Two of the most complete, most structured languages that Tolkien created are the high speech and the common speech of elves. The languages are Quenya, not commonly spoken in Middle-earth, it's kind of a high speech, only spoken by the high elves of Lothlorien, and Sindarin, which is the language we hear most in the film's dialogue and its music. It's also the language that men speak to elves. So as you can see, a love of languages is how Middle-earth even came to exist at all. So using these various languages as text for the various singers in Howard Shore's score is a brilliant Tolkien-esque move on his part and on the part of the whole production team that supported this idea. Let's start with a few more in-world or diegetic examples. This first one is actually one that actor Viggo Mortensen came up with. He actually wrote the melody. Shortly after Strider and the Hobbits leave Bree on the way to Rivendell in the first half of the film, they make camp for the night. Strider, who seems haunted by distant memories, sings a song in Sindarin, the song of Luthien. The lyrics go like this. Tenuviel, the elven fair. Immortal maiden elven wise, about him cast her shadowy hair, and arms like silver glimmering. Of. Tis the lay of Luthien, 
the elf maiden who gave her love to Beren, a mortal. What happened to her? She died. Another great example of in-world elvish singing is when our fellowship is in the magical realm of Lothlorien. The elves have learned that Gandalf has seemingly perished, and they sing the lament for Gandalf in sorrow. that they're singing go like this. Verse 1 is in Quenya, the high speech. O Lauren, who once was, sent by the lords of the west to guard the lands of the east, or Middle-earth, wisest of all Maiar, what drove you to leave that which you loved? Verse 2 is in Sindarin, and they call Gandalf by name. Mithrandir, Mithrandir, O pilgrim gray, no more will you wander the green fields of this earth. Your journey has ended in darkness. The bonds cut, the spirit broken, the flame of Anor has left this world. A great light has gone out. The chorus sings, Our love for this land is deeper than the deeps of the sea. Our regret is undying, yet we will cast all away. Rather than submit, what should be, shall be. This is yet another sign that we're given in the text, in the film score, that the elves are headed west and are leaving Middle-earth. Their time is ending. It's funny, in the book, Samwise tries to sing his own song in response, and the film actually pays homage to this in this little scene. Check it out. A lament for Gandalf. What do they say about him? I have not the heart to tell you. For me, the grief is still too near. But they don't mention his fireworks. Should be a verse about them. The finest rockets ever seen. They burst in stars of blue and green. Or after thunder, silver showers came falling like a Rain of flowers, oh, that doesn't do them justice by a long When we return, the languages of Middle-earth take over the actual film score. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. The very first music we hear in the film score is the theme from Lothlorien. We've discussed this. But the text actually says this in the elvish language of Sindarin. Who enters here? 
Who brings to us this token of doom? That which has stood so long against the darkness will now fall. This is text that plays straight out of the Lothlorien scene later in the film, when the Fellowship brings the object of greatest evil right to their doorstep. Yet we're hearing it right at the very, very beginning. Later, in that same prologue, we hear the Ringwraiths singing. text? Fascinating. It's a rare, old language called Adunaic, which isn't really spoken anymore in Middle-earth, but at one time was the common language of the men of Numenor, the nine kings of men before they became the Ringwraiths. The level of detail here is just admirable. The text goes like this. We renounce our maker. We cleave to the darkness. We take unto ourselves the power and glory. Behold, we are the nine the lords of unending life. This text is in the film score. It's amazing. Moving forward in the story, Gandalf, when he realizes that this is the one true ring of power, goes to Saruman the White, and he is betrayed by him. Actually, he's attacked in an all-out wizard brawl. And we hear this piece of music. The text that the chorus is singing is in black speech, the language of Mordor, reciting the one ring to rule them all speech. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, so on and so forth. We covered it in the first episode, ending in in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. So again, we're kind of being reinforced in the film score that the one ring truly is to rule them all, including the mighty Saruman the White. But since we're talking about Saruman, we have to pause on text here for a moment and just call out an amazing piece of music. While there's not text in it, I would be remiss if I didn't stop to analyze it at this point in our story. And that is the music of the Caverns of Isengard. Okay, first of all, listen to that metallic clanging, representing the industrial war machine that is creating the army of Uruk-hai. This is straight out of the Rheingold, which is Wagner's first opera in his ring cycle. When the gods of Valhalla travel down to visit the mining dwarves of Nibelheim, we hear the orchestration of 
thousands of mining dwarves that are slave to the ring of power. But even more than just the Wagner influence, there's a very mechanical rhythm to this Isengard piece in Fellowship. I mentioned in an earlier episode that many of Howard Shore's melodies have this breathing, living, breath-like phrasing to them. Well, this is Shore giving us the opposite. The rhythm is in 5-4, what's known in music as an odd time signature, and it's relatively rare, especially in popular music. The rhythm goes like this. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, right? However, there are accents in these five, and it goes like this. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, bump, 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 one, two, three, four, five, bump, 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 bump. It's unsettling. And even the melody sits unpredictably within these five, four bars. Bump, 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 bump. And one more great thing about this melody. Remember the there and back again notes from the Fellowship of the Ring theme? This? Well, Shore tells us that Saruman is also on his own quest for the ring by beginning his theme with an evil version of the there and back again notes linking Isengard to the Ring and the Fellowship. Instead of this, we get this. As in... After all, this Isengard melody is the force that breaks the Fellowship. First by forcing the Fellowship into Moria, where we lose Gandalf, and then by defeating Boromir and taking Merry and Pippin at the end of the movie. So it makes sense that these notes are linked to the Fellowship Notes. But on with our story. As we witness the Uruk-hai industrial machine in action, we're given another force that will ultimately come to our hero's aid throughout the three films. And this is its first appearance. That force is nature itself. High atop the tower at Orthanc, Gandalf is prisoner. While he's up there, he catches a moth and whispers a message of rescue in its ear. As it flies away, we hear this, a theme for nature in Middle-earth. Text? It's in Quenya, the highest language of the land, and it reads, The earth groans, and the wind, the wind is crying. Later, in the two towers, 
This theme will reappear when the Ents, that is, the trees that come to life, attack and defeat the forces at Isengard. The Soundtrack Show will continue in a moment. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. When we arrive in Rivendell, we of course hear this. text that they're singing? It's in Sindarin, and it speaks of the elves longing for a holy figure named Elbereth. They're singing from the, quote, tree-tangled Middle-earth. It speaks to Rivendell's desire for purity, for knowledge, and that their gaze is focused not on Middle-earth, but into the West, beyond Middle-earth. This hymn, the Hymn of Elbereth, is also the last text to be sung in the closing credits of Fellowship. Hey, do we all remember that theme that I mentioned in the last episode, that seduction theme? Well, it turns out that there's actually text for it. And ironically, it's also in the highest language of the land, Quenya. And it goes like this. The strength, the weapon, the needs of the valiant. Be the ring your weapon. Go to victory. And when do we hear that text? Well, not when Frodo has the ring at the top of the movie when Gandalf is warning about the ring's power. You just hear a chorus kind of humming. We hear the text set to this melody, finally, on a snowy mountain, when Boromir picks up the ring. He is so tempted by it that a choir eerily beckons him with these lyrics to take the ring up himself as a weapon for Gondor. Such a little thing. 
Boromir. Give the ring to Frodo. And it will show up again later, and will sound even more pronounced when Boromir finally does try to take the ring at Parth Galen at the end of the movie. As you wish. I cannot. But back to our story. Our heroes move into the dwarvish mines of Moria, and we hear the text of Durin's song as our heroes carefully navigate in the darkness. This text is dwarvish, or Kujdul, for the following. Durin, who is deathless, eldest of all fathers, who awoke to darkness beneath the mountain, who walked alone through halls of stone. Durin, who is deathless, lord of Khazad-dûm, who cleaved the dark and broke the silence. This is your light. This is your word. This is your glory. The Dwarodelf of Khazad-dûm. song indeed. There are more dwarvish lyrics, however, that aren't so noble. They are a tale of great fear, a tale of the Balrog. They play as the Fellowship flees from the horrible demonic creature that is now awake from the deep. The text is as follows. Deeper into the earth, the dark grows heavy, cold snaps our bones. Deeper into the earth, there, the glint of mithril, which is what they're mining, sharp and far away, deeper into the earth, that sound again. Dread surrounds us. Can no one hear us? A great shadow moves in the dark. The earth shakes, cracks, splits. Will no one save us? Fire, fire in the deep. Flames lick our skin. Fear rips our heart. No, no, no. The demon comes. Whew. Dwarves get a bad rap. They're gruff. Yes, they dug too deep. Maybe they're not as refined as elves, but they have great 
culture and nobility as well. Howard Shore captures this beautifully as we enter the magnificent underground dwarven city of Dwarodelf. film score moment of true beauty in this dark part of the story. Speaking of beauty, we need to go back to Lothlorien. Now, this is a fascinating, multi-layered scene. First of all, Galadriel, played by Kate Blanchett, is arguably the most powerful and oldest figure of light in all of Middle-earth. And as she speaks out loud to our fellowship, she's also speaking directly to each of them telepathically, directly to their minds. Here's a quote from Doug Adams' book. Quote, The Fellowship is given an audience with Galadriel, Lady of Light and ruler of Lothlorien. Outwardly, she greets them ceremoniously, but her eyes pierce their minds. She assuages Gimli's guilt for having suggested the path through Moria. She lays bare Boromir's deficiencies, and he weeps for atrocities yet uncommitted. But behind him, Chelly lift a phrase of weakness and redemption, suggesting that he may yet walk the path of righteousness. She sees in Simple Sam the Fellowship's great hope still unrealized. Frodo flinches as she turns to him. He knows that she can see that which has brought him before her. She can sense the ring. But he sees something unsettling in her eyes. Is it desire? The steady build of Shore's open harmonies skips ahead a beat as it climbs, a disquieting quickening of pulse. End quote. And on top of all of that, doublespeak, and psychology. On top of there already being two conversations happening, Galadriel's song, via the music in the background, is saying to us in Quenya, quote, I perceive the Dark Lord. I comprehend his mind, ever groping to see my thought. But still the door is closed. Behold the light. Nenya is this ring, unbreakable that I possess. Galadriel is, after all, one of the keepers of the Elvish rings. So the darkness tempts her. Sauron and the ring are reaching out to her, but she holds true and passes the test. Not only is it on screen, but it is audible via Tolkien's languages as film score text. Karas Galathon, the heart of Elvendom on Earth, realm of the Lord Celeborn and of Galadriel,
At the end of the film, the Fellowship is truly broken. One member, Boromir, tries to betray Frodo by succumbing to temptation and taking the ring, but he realizes his error and dies fighting to protect Frodo from capture. While he succeeds in holding off the Urukai, it costs him his life, and Gondor, the already hurting great city of the Kingdom of Men that we've heard so much about, loses its greatest hero. Howard Shore handles this by supplying tremendous beauty in his music to evoke the sense of loss, the tragedy. He uses a boys' chorus here. A quote from Howard Shore, quote, The boys' chorus felt right to me because of the hobbits and the way Boromir looks at them. It's just the boys on the melody and the men accompanying, end quote. That's just like the fellowship itself. And the text? Here's part one in Sindarin, the common elf language. I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love the homeland which they defend. Boy, if that isn't Boromir to a T and his love of Gondor. And here's part two, and it's heartbreaking. Now this is in the high language, in Quenya. The tree is bare, the fountain still, referring to the tree of Gondor. The tree is bare, the fountain still. Whither goest thou, Boromir? We heard your call, but cannot find you. Darkness falls upon the vale of Pelennor. Where now is the sun? The Fellowship is broken. Howard Shore gives us the Fellowship theme at the end of this moment, but this time it plays with a sense of despair. with a song by the artist Enya, who Howard Shore picked to be involved in Fellowship of the Rings. A quote from Doug Adams' book, quote, The Fellowship of the Rings end credits begin with Enya's composition, May It Be, wherein the broken fellowship is offered a blessing and a faint glimpse of hope. A promise lives within you now. End quote. May it be an Shines down the 
Howard Shore's score for The Fellowship of the Ring has all the makings of grand opera, the musical passages of program music or a ballet, and the technical prowess of a film score. Like the elves and their languages, it hovers above the events of Middle-earth, moving at a slower pace in long, beautiful lines. It's filled with Tolkien's words and the languages he created. Its leitmotifs weave and connect with each other with great symbolism. And it pulls at our heartstrings, giving us emotional context and putting us at ease in a world that is thousands of years old. Only Shore slows down to explain it to us. And maybe we had no idea just how thorough and deep his musical explanations are, and just how remarkably faithful they are to the spirit of J.R.R. Tolkien. Thank you. Thank you. 